The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So, <laughs> we will once again visit beautiful things that arise out of fresh eyes. So, um, have you ever walked out your back door or, or any place that you're particularly familiar with and all of a sudden the trees seem larger and the grass is greener and the light is brighter and things are just kind of sparkling? And it's a surprise, not because it's actually different than yesterday, but there's a kind of vividness that's come into the to seeing because you're really seeing, you know, there... I live in an absolutely gorgeous place. And I make it a habit every morning to look out the window, deliberately to look out the window, so that I don't take it for granted. And I notice that there are still some days when it just seems more glorious. Just, oh, because I'm there. I'm in the experience. Well... One of the things that we as meditators do is, you know, we meditate. And we pretty much know what that feels like. And we, we sit down, and here I am meditating. And what I've discovered is sometimes you get so much in the habit of, of just doing it that you're not really there for it. Not really there for it. You know, it's just sort of something that we do. And particularly because it's a mindfulness practice, you know, you're, you're right in there. You're, I'm with my breath. I'm following my breath. So um, recently, I took part in an online meditation, uh, introduction to, to mindfulness meditation course. I don't know, how, are, are any of you familiar with the that we do that here? No, so... Every year, since 1928, uh, 1928, 2008, 2008, we've offered an introduction to meditation course to people who come in through Audio Dharma. And it's a six-week course. How many of you here have taken the six-week intro course here at IMC? So you all kind of know what it's like. Not everybody, but it's... so. So what we do with this course is every week, so people can sign up either to have mentoring or they audit the course. And if you get a mentor, what that means is you get 20 to 30 minutes a week to discuss the topic with your assigned teacher. So this, this time we had 125 people who were who had mentoring support, and we had 300 people who were just auditing the course. These are people from all over the world. So as uh, the way the course runs is we put out one of Gil's talks each of six weeks. So his the first introductory class, and then the next, and the next, and so on. And then every day we send out little messages having to do with the topic for that week. So it's, it's got a lot of information and a lot of skill development. And it's structured so that the first week we talk about mindfulness of breath, and the second week physical sensations, and the third week emotions. The fourth week is mindfulness of thinking. The fifth week is mindfulness of attitude. And the sixth week 
is mindfulness in your daily life. Okay, so it's you know, kind of a typical structure. So this is what we do. So what I discovered, what I want to talk about is not so much what the students got out of this course, but what I got out of this course. Because in talking, I had 16 people that I talked to every week. And some of them were, were raw beginners, and some of them had been meditating a long time, but had no teacher support. So they were actually taking this just so they could have someone to talk to, you know, someone to check in with. And, you know, I've been meditating for 10 years, but I don't know if I'm doing it right. <laughs> so um, what I discovered in talking to all these different people was a kind of refreshing for me, a reinvigorating, a a more vivid attachment or uh, attraction to my own practice. And so that's what I'd like to talk to you about that. Um, So uh, the conversations I had were really very thought-provoking, and they've they've stuck with me for all these, these people. Uh, they were so earnest. Not everybody finishes the course, of course, but uh, of my 16, 13 people had interviews every week up to the end. And, and they, were, they were really determined to do this. And that was refreshing for me, you know, that determination. Wow, these people, it's not easy for them. I mean, we live in the Bay Area. It's actually pretty easy we can find places to go. We can find a sitting place. We can find someone that, that we can talk to. We can find like-minded people. Some of these people are in places that, you know, they, they don't bump into anybody who doesn't think meditation is sort of foo-foo, you know. So um, 10%, 10% of these people were from Bangladesh, of the ones who were being mentored. I found that fascinating. <laughs> Bangladesh, you know. So, so as they went through the course, you know, people would say, people were pretty focused on this. They knew about doing the breath thing. I'm going to sit and be mindful of the breath. But, you know, sometimes things are pretty chaotic, and it's pretty hard to stay on the breath. You know, okay. I'm going to breathe, I'm going to breathe. I'm breathing, I'm breathing. You know, and people would say, well... I'm controlling my breath, or I can't find my breath, or I can't make my thoughts go away. And I remember that, wanting my thoughts to go away, and I remember that chaos. And sometimes when I sit down, it's pretty chaotic. You know, I sit down and... um, My body doesn't want to settle. And, and so I listen to them talk about this, and I say, oh, please, believe me, it's okay. <laughs> and they say, but I want to do it right. <laughs> and, I, and then I think about that, I want to do it right. I still have that. You know, sometimes I sit down, and I think I've forgotten how to meditate. It just feels like I've forgotten how. And, it's, and, then, and then I say, so what's going on if you think you've forgotten how? And I realize there's this unsettledness in my body that I haven't actually been aware of. You know, I'm so determined I'm going to sit down, I'm ready to go, and, and I haven't been paying attention to that feeling of being unsettled. 
And so when I sit down, it's right there, and I think, I don't remember how to meditate. (laughs) Well, that's an interesting movement of the mind. So that's one of the things that happened as I was talking to these people, is as I was listening to them, I would say something to them that would say, Ah, Maria, this is for you. (laughs) This is for you. Watch the movement of the mind. Watch the movement of the mind. And they'd say, what do you mean, watch the movement of the mind? (laughs) And I'd say, hmm, that was probably not a good instruction for them. (laughs) So, um, So it became necessary when I was talking to these people to resort to the simplest of tasks, which I sometimes do for myself. As I sit here and everything seems out of control, is it pleasant or unpleasant? Is it pleasant or unpleasant? I don't have to know very much about it, actually. Is it pleasant or unpleasant? It sort of gets, my, gets me out of my head. You know, gets me into that sense of feeling. Is it pleasant or unpleasant? Or neutral? It's very seldom neutral. <laughs> is it pleasant or unpleasant? If I'm restless, how do I know I'm restless? People would say to me, you know, when I'm meditating, I don't feel anything. I'm just meditating. I'm following my breath. They're very virtuous. Very virtuous. Beginners are very virtuous. They just focus on the breath. And they can't feel their bodies. And I'll say, of course you feel your body. No, I don't. Oh, okay. Is it, are, are, you, are you restless? Yes, I'm restless. How do you know you're restless? Well, I just know. Now ask yourself, how do you know you're restless? There's, there's something happening in your body that, that gives you that feeling of restlessness. But it's very easy to make it a mental decision. I'm restless. I'm restless. I'm going to come back to that. There are a lot of ideas about meditation. When I meditate, I should be calm. Right? I mean, that, that's what I do. When I, sit, when I sit on the cushion, right away, it, there's a kind of settling in, and, oh, this is, you know, this is my favorite place. I can be calm here. And, and if I'm not calm, something's wrong, probably with me, right? Because my idea about meditation is it should be calm. Now, by now, I know that it's not always calm. But suppose you're taking up meditation because you're trying to introduce some calmness and stillness and steadiness in your life. And we sit down to meditate, and that's not happening. Do you feel cheated? Do you judge that it's not the right thing, that you're not doing the right thing, that, you know, I'm probably just not sitting right? There's a lot of pressure around, I'm a good meditator or I'm a bad meditator. Or that was a good sit or that was a bad sit. Well, you know, people would say to me, well, I sat all week and I I did have one good sit, but mostly they were bad sits. Oh, and what was bad? (laughs) Well, I just don't know what I'm doing. Oh, really? (laughs) Tell me how it was a bad sit, you know? Well, I couldn't stay on my breath. So a lot of, there are a lot of expectations around mindfulness that mindfulness is about staying on your breath. 
So I need to remind you, as I've reminded myself, that mindfulness is not staying on your breath. Mindfulness is being aware of your experience, being in touch with the experience, being here for the experience. Mindfulness is not about staying on your breath. Mindfulness is none of the trainings that we gave people on following your body, following your emotions, following your thoughts. Mindfulness is being there with whatever it is. So so all of the things about, um, well, my mind is wandering too much. You know, the wandering mind isn't the problem. It's the awareness of the wandering mind that is important. It's, it's actually being present for the experience. So one of the things that, that seems to bother a lot of people, and it's, I've certainly spent a lot of time working on this same thing, I can't get concentrated. I can't get concentrated. Everything is just too wild. I can't get concentrated. Hmm. You know, sometimes we, we get odd notions about what concentration is. There's a concentration practice that is really focusing, a, a definite focus on a single object. Boom. I am going to put all my effort on this object, be it the breath or some other object, but I am, I am concentrating on this, and everything else is aside. This is kind of a mental state, actually. It's a, a, a mind state where you're, you, are, you are concentrated and focused, and that is, that's the intent, is just to be focused. Whereas mindfulness may be enhanced by concentration, by your ability to be steady. But mindfulness is more about being steady, steadily aware of something. Mindfulness requires an object, contact with the object, and awareness of that contact. I may know that I'm sitting up here. I know because there's a relationship between me and this cushion I'm sitting on and you, and I'm in front of you, so I know I'm sitting facing you. But what is my experience of that? My experience has got to be related to my, the feeling of my body on what I'm sitting on and the relationship between me and you and the seeing. The, the experience is really much more about being aware of all of the pieces of that experience. So one of the, one of the bugaboos of mindfulness is that we should be mindful of everything. Not possible. <laughs> Not possible. You know. So you're all sitting here. What are you mindful of? What are you mindful of? How many things are you mindful of? How many physical things? How many mental things? How many emotional things? So when we talk about mindfulness and say we want to be mindful of our breath, 
mindful of our physical reality, mindful of our emotions, mindful of our thoughts. We can't do all of that at once. (laughs) You know, one of the virtues of going on retreat is that you get rid of all of the stimulation, all of the extra stimulation that we typically live with our whole lives. Lots of stimulation in our lives. Color, sound, places, people, memories, lots of stimulation. We choose what we're mindful of. Now, one of the virtues of focusing on the breath, being on the breath, is that we kind of cut out a lot of that by focusing on something. We sort of lose all of that noise in our lives by choosing something to focus on. But the fact that our mind wanders or that we become aware of a physical reality or some emotional flush comes into our bodies, that's not bad. That just is. So in the interest of maintaining our attention somewhere, of maintaining that steadiness, we say, ah, I see you, whatever you are, and I come back to my breath. I come back to the breath, and I come back to the breath. But there's something nagging. <laughs> it keeps coming up. It keeps coming up. Maybe, maybe it's a sore knee. Maybe it's, it's a memory that just won't go. It just keeps picking at us. It's coming up. It's coming up. Maybe we need to pay attention to that. Maybe we need to look at that and say, okay, I see you. This is here. See if there's anything there that is real. So we have to remind ourselves to be aware. Just remind ourselves that what what mindfulness is about is being aware, knowing what's happening in the moment doesn't mean we have to analyze know it. It just means that we recognize something's here. Something's here. So sometimes we spend a lot of effort trying to have a certain kind of meditation. A lot of effort on, I'm going to be with this breath and I'm going to count this breath. So that the tool which brings us into the moment becomes something that takes us out of the moment. Because we're putting so much energy and effort into it that we can't see what's actually just coming up. We're not present for what's here. We're trying to change the experience. If I were a good meditator, I could stay on my breath, and I'm going to stay on my breath, and I'm going to get really concentrated, and mm, we're going to miss what's coming up. So all of these people who told me, I can't feel my body. My favorite were the ones who said, I don't have any emotions. I love those people. I don't have any emotions. You know, we're just not used to recognizing them. For those people, starting with pleasant and unpleasant is a good starting point. Or restlessness. How do you feel about restlessness? Well, I hate restlessness. Oh, that's a pretty strong feeling. (laughs) We don't call, we don't name things what they are. And we don't 
we don't experience them. We, we push them outside of our awareness. So we may know that they're there, but we're not, we're not going to look there. This is a large part of mindfulness, being able to look at what's there and be, be there with it, to allow what is true to be true. This statement is very mysterious to people. Allow what is true to be true. We're so trained to have things a certain way, to make things a certain way, that we're not even aware of how often we're trying to shape our experience. Oh, it should be this way. It should be this way. If I work harder, it'll be this way. So <clears throat> one, of the, one of the interesting things was, was when we were talking about mindfulness of sound. So have, have all of you tried doing mindfulness of, of sound? Have you tried that? You know, there, there are a couple of different ways that you can do this. So when you're sitting just listening, 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 there's a very strong tendency to identify sounds. Bell, I hear a bell. You don't hear a bell, you hear a tone. It's pleasant or unpleasant. It sets off memories. Oh, I had a bell like that once. Oh, I wish I had a bell like that. So there's all kinds of other things that happen, and they happen very fast. But listening is just listening. It's just staying with that tone and hearing it. Just hearing it. So there's, there's a focus on sound that obliterates everything else. All I'm going to hear is that. And there is a, a being with the sound that includes everything. So sometimes I've done a meditation where I'm listening to see how far I can hear. What's the farthest away sound you can hear? With that comes the realization that your awareness is actually quite broad, or can be. It can be very focused, or it can be very broad. And both of these are mindfulness. Both of these are mindfulness. So, um, so suppose you're sitting, and what comes up is anger. Anger. Now, the whole object of mindfulness meditation is to do away with suffering. So why are you telling me to stay with my anger? What does it mean to stay with your anger? What does it mean to allow it to be there? I don't want to be angry. I want the anger to go away. Well, sometimes that's appropriate. Sometimes you just let go of it. But what's the difference between letting go and pushing away? What's the difference between letting go and pushing away? It's, a, it's just, it's, it's close, you know? It's really close. So, so the other day I was sitting... And I sat down, and I was going to have a nice, comfortable, cozy sit. And I noticed uh, what I first labeled as anxiety. 
So the day was, was jam-packed. I had a long schedule ahead of me. And I said, oh, it's just anxiety. I'm anxious over this. Then I said, really? <laughs> to myself, anxious, huh? How do you know you're anxious, I said. And there was this, I said, oh, I'm uneasy. I'm uneasy. Well, I could blame it on my schedule, which is not going to change while I'm sitting here. Or I could realize that what's true is this uneasiness. And in being with that uneasiness, it didn't have anything to do with the schedule. It was just uneasiness. Just uneasiness. And so I felt it in my body. What does it feel like, this uneasiness? And after a while, it just wasn't interesting anymore, and I went back to my breath. But I wasn't worrying about whether I was anxious. So sometimes what we label something when we're doing noting takes us out of the experience, puts it in the realm of concept, and leaves us divorced from the actual experience. This can be very subtle. So sometimes it's skillful to say, thinking, thinking, planning, planning, keeps coming back, keeps coming back, keeps coming back. Maybe it's time to say, what else is happening? (laughs) What else is here? What's the quality of this thinking? Is there energy in the thinking? Noticing something about the thinking, not the content, because then you're off to the races, following the content. But what's the, what's the feeling around the thinking? Is it pleasant or unpleasant? So, you know, fantasy is going to be pleasant, right? But anxiety is not particularly pleasant. So notice what the feeling is around it, because you don't, don't want to get stuck in analyzing it. But somehow, if it just is, it's really pounding on you, there's something that needs attention. It's, it actually is drawing your attention. So, so what else? What is it? Sometimes it's not what's here. Sometimes it's what's not here. What's absent? That's really an interesting question. What's absent? As you're sitting... Oh, I'm wanting, I'm wanting, oh, I'm wanting. You know, there's, there's uneasiness, and then there's uneasiness and wanting. Maybe I want not to be uneasy. <laughs> okay, well, that's interesting. It turns out that if I notice I don't want what's true, there's a space that's been created between me and that whatever it is I don't want to be true. And the hold on me is less, and it's easier to let go. And it's the kind of letting go that happens when you touch a hot stove. You don't think about how you're going to let go. You're not pushing the stove away. You just stop touching. Just stop touching. And that stopping can happen when you're in that space where you say, oh, Oh, this is what's here. Oh, it's hot. (laughs) You don't have to think about moving your hand back. And then you notice that that's your response. Ooh. So so I had this situation where uh, somebody was repairing something for me. 
And they did a bad job. So I took this back and I said, you know, you did a bad job. That ended up in what was a fairly hostile exchange. So uh, they agreed to fix it, and I went away. And a week later, I hadn't heard from them. And I realized that I was not willing to call them because I didn't want to engage in the ill will that was there. And I was avoiding that ill will because I didn't want to be there. I just didn't want that. So as I was watching what was happening, I realized that the movement of my mind was not so much pushing away the ill will, but every time I thought of this person, I went, ouch! And it was more that the movement of the mind was just this, it was just letting go. Not going there, just, ooh. Because I knew the ill will was there, I could not pretend that I did not have ill will. You know, I would have liked to. I would have liked to say, I was totally equanimous about this. (laughs) But it was there. And so there were lots of things happening in that moment. There was the mind state of ill will. There was the realization that I recognized the suffering, that I wanted to let go of the suffering. But there was no doing There was no, well, here's what I'm going to do about it. I just watched it. And then one day I made the phone call and said, well, how's it going? (laughs) Because I I had practiced, you know, five days in a row with touching and going, ow, no, no, ow, ow. And then it just, you know, okay, that wasn't so horrible. I'll just call. It wasn't about getting rid of the ill will, but allowing it to be there and recognizing I didn't want to hold it. I don't want to hold it. I don't want to hold it. I don't want to hold it. There are other skills, other ways of dealing with unpleasantness. I might have done loving kindness to soften my heart. I might have done loving kindness to soften my heart toward the other person. I might have dissected the ill will, you know, got in touch with the ill will and how unpleasant it was. And, you know, all of those are different aspects of meditation and skillful ways of being with something. But as it turns out, what was important for me then was seeing the movement of my mind let go of suffering, let go of suffering. That had real power for me then. In order to see that happen, we have to be in the habit when we're meditating to really pay attention to where is our attention and what is calling for attention. Is there something that's calling for attention? So um, one of the things that people really wanted to know was... Tell me what it should look like. You know, there's kind of a feeling of, how do I know if I'm doing it right? How can I get the most benefit? I really want an end to suffering. What does it look like? You know, it reminds me of, of hunting for mushrooms. There are, there are these fantastic mushrooms that grow in Marin called Belitis mushrooms. 
and they're, they really are, are beautiful, and they taste delicious, and they're great, and I've never been able to find one. And I have a friend that gathers them the, by the bushel because he knows where to find them. He knows what they look like on the ground. They, he knows what kind of leaf litter, what kind of tree, and he can tell me, look under this kind of tree, look under this litter, but I've never seen one, and so I can't find it. I don't know what it looks like. Undoubtedly, I have some image in my head, which doesn't exist because I've never found one. (laughs) And they're there. They're there. Mindfulness is like that. You know, we get an idea about something. But the real mindfulness is in the experience And until we have that experience, until we have touched that experience, we don't know what we're looking for. We can be searching and spending a lot of time in searching. But the truth is it's easy. We just have to notice what shows up. Unlike those mushrooms. (laughs) Or maybe that is the secret. Just notice what shows up. Really notice it. And know that you notice it. When I drive down here, I, the route is pretty well known to me, and I don't think about the route. And every once in a while, I have to look at a sign to see where I am. How far have I gone on the road? But I'm paying a lot of t- attention to whether my body is leaning forward so I could get there faster, <laughs> which I did a lot of this morning. Oh, here she is leaning again. But I wasn't paying very much attention. I was paying attention to the cars around me, but not where I was. And it's a freeway drive. Not counting the, the early part where it was icy and foggy. Then it, I paid a lot of attention. <laughs> One of the ways to find what you're looking for is to know what you're looking for. What is your intention? What is your intention? And it's useful to ask that more often than I do. What's my intention? When I'm sitting down here this morning, what is my intention? Because whatever that is, is going to guide what we're finally aware of. It's going to influence what we're aware of. So all of us, in addition to our intentions, have ideas about ourselves, about who we are and how we approach meditation and what our tendencies are, which we call our personality. (laughs) This is the way I am. You know, I do it this way. Um, Well, you know, I tend to be an anxious, I'm an anxious person. How many people told me they were anxious? It was really quite frightening. I'm an anxious person. And I think it's one of the things that made me really notice when I sat down the other day and I called myself anxious, what else is here? Because it was too easy to jump to that I'm just anxious part. So we believe things about ourselves like I'm an emotional person, I'm not an emotional person. 
uh, I'm stoic, I'm not stoic. And so we only look in those places that define us the way we see ourselves. So if I'm self-critical, I'm going to spend a lot of time looking at all those ways that I'm failing. And I'm not even going to notice the ways in which I'm doing, I'm meeting my intention. Because over here is this idea about myself that this is the way I am and I'm on the, I'm on the lookout for that. So a woman told me that she wakes up every morning, the alarm goes off, and her first thought is, what horrible thing has happened? What's, what's happened? Something's happened. I'm getting a call in the middle of the night, something terrible has happened. And she realized that that was going on, and she said, you know, I don't know why, but I just automatically look for the worst thing that happens. I guess it's just the way I am. And I reminded her that it's just her habit. It's not the way she is. And I asked her what was outside her window, or what was in her bedroom, what was there when she opened her eyes in the morning. And it turns out she lives in a beautiful place where there are gorgeous furs outside the window. And I said, so, so tell yourself when you go to bed at night, the first thing I'm going to do is look out the window and notice the trees. Just notice them. You don't have any obligation to do anything but notice them. And she discovered that her habit of looking for what horrible thing has happened has been partially displaced by noticing the trees. Whether she likes them or doesn't like them isn't even important. It's just interrupting the habit. The habit of what she thinks she is like. What she thinks she's like. This is how I am. I do this. But because we're in the habit of looking in those places, we don't see what else is there. We don't see what's missing. And we are not mindful of the raw experience of our lives because we have all these beliefs about us. This is how I am. You know, when you first start doing mindfulness of speech, and you pay attention to, to people and you start listening to them, how many people notice, gee, I sure interrupt people a lot. And so then it's very easy to leap to, oh, gee, I interrupt people all the time. And then if you don't, you discover, gee, I don't get to say some of the stuff I think is really important. And then you get to the point where you say, gee, I guess it wasn't all that important. (laughs) And that's a really interesting journey that I myself go through a lot. I start over. Oh, look at that. How important was it to say that? Well, it was really important. It was a great idea. I know the answer. So, so, so one of the people told me that he was a really fast thinker and that it, uh, it, it was important in a, in a brainstorming session to, to just say whatever you're going to say. And I said, well, just make sure it's a brainstorming session and not a committee meeting. <laughs> you know? Because it's different. But if you believe you are this way, 
is it different? One of the real gifts of mindfulness is to notice the way that we carve our own experience, that we create our own experience. On the back of this uh, iPad, you know, when, when, you, when you buy one of these, they let you engrave it. Mine says, all things are preceded by mind, led by mind, made by mind, which is the opening of the Dhammapada. And that's on there to remind me that I am creating my experience by what I look at, by what I'm paying attention to. And it reminds me that it's not a matter of arriving. It's about a matter of noticing where you are. Just notice, notice, notice. One of the, one of the saddest things about people on the path is they want to know, where am I on the path? And it's not important where you are on the path, only that you know where you are on the path. It's not a distance measure. It's a being measure. So I'm going to read you a poem, which, by the way, I've read before, but it, um, it has more meaning for me now than it did last week. <laughs> so this is Froglessness by Thich Nhat Hanh. The first fruition of the practice is the t- attainment of froglessness. When a frog is put in the center of a plate, she will jump out of the plate after just a few seconds. If you put the frog back again on the center of the plate, she will again jump out. You have so many plans. There is something you want to become. Therefore, you always want to make a leap, a leap forward. It is difficult to keep the frog still on the center of the plate. You and I both have Buddha nature, but we also have frog nature. That is why the first attainment of the practice, froglessness, is its name. The first fruition of the practice is the attainment of froglessness. When a frog is put on the center of a plate, she will jump out of the plate after just a few seconds. If you put the frog back again on the center of the plate, she will again jump out. You have so many plans. There is something you want to become. Therefore, you always want to make a leap, a leap forward. It is difficult to keep the frog still on the center of the plate. You and I both have Buddha nature in us. This is encouraging, but you and I both have frog nature in us. That is why the first attainment of the practice, froglessness is its name. So, may you all discover that you don't have to leap forward. You only have to be where you are. Thank you. So are there any comments, questions, suggestions? Yes. Right. Kelly. 
Hi, I'm Kelly. Um, I just wanted to say, first of all, I'm just so grateful that I'm sitting in this space today. Um, um, In the past five weeks, I took a really bad fall in December, right during the holidays. Um, And then I had surgery five weeks ago. And then my father passed away four (laughs) weeks ago. And then last week, um, my daughter just transferred to a new school in Redwood City called North Star Academy, which is for academically gifted kids, and it's, the pace is incredibly crazy. And last week, I got a note from the teachers that this afternoon, my husband and I need to go talk to the teachers because Ariel's not doing something. And I'm listening, here, listening, and I'm so, so grateful. I don't know how I got here today, but I'm here. And I realized through each of these events, I've been... Like the fall, all I keep thinking about is, oh, if you would not, why did you fall? Oh, good grief. I've had any surgery before. It was terrible timing, no compassion. And then the surgery has been painful and not what I expected. And, and then my father's death, instead of just staying with the mourning and the grieving, I've, my, I think my unconscious has unearthed all this 53 years of stuff to distract myself with, my story, my stuff. And then the thing with school, immediately I'm like, oh, I must have messed up the past eight years. She's not keeping up. What have I done wrong? Instead of any of those things, I've immediately gone to the story. I've create, All these things deserve their space. They deserve their emotions. But, and I've been in this space for many years, not as frequently lately. But my actions have caused me to have extra, a lot of suffering because I'm adding my story, and it's all about, you know, making myself, I'm doing it wrong. So I really appreciated being here today on this particular time. We're going to the school this afternoon, and I can just breathe, be centered, listen to what the teachers say, and we can give our input and formulate a plan going forward without sledgehammering my head during a time that's already difficult. So thank you so much. Yeah. That's beautiful. You know, uh, it's really easy to make everything about me. It's really, really easy. You know, uh, as somebody who has fallen three times in the last week, <laughs> I can tell you <clears throat> that I've been fairly critical of my my ability to stay upright, you know. And, um, you know, it just, it's what happened. It's just what happens. Yes. As you were talking, I could think about how much work this is, how how much you put on me today. Oh dear. <laughs> and um, it is it isn't it isn't that hard, but it's it's a new pattern and. One thing I want to do is to be less judgmental because that covers so much of my actions. And I know that the more I do the work to know myself, the less judgmental I'm going to be. Um, I've always had high energy and, and just get things done. <laughs> and um, I can't do with that anymore in the same way, and I'm glad I can't do that because I need to, to be softer with myself and softer with others also. So uh, it's, it's heavy work, but 
it's what I want to do. So thank you. Yay. <laughs> yeah. And it's okay to notice that it's heavy. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Thank you very much. I came with a question. Mm-hmm. In, in the meditation as part of the, the journey of letting go. Oh, yeah, that's right. We have to do it close. Um, I, I experienced a tremendous amount of rage and fury. And, and I, I have let that go, which is amazing to watch what happens inside. But today the curiosity was, at whom is that anger directed? Ah. That was my question. And you touched on it. I was so thrilled. <laughs> Yeah. Do you know the answer? You don't have oh, to yes. give it. It's been a, a healing journey. And what, what all I wanted to do was tell my story, tell my story. And, and once the answer came that this was my journey, I no longer had the need to tell my story. It, it, it's, it's a phenomenal thing. But I still am curious. A rage that I thought was going to cause me to die... I don't know. I, I'm curious to know whom was it directed? My spirit? Myself? The situation? I'm not sure. You know, um, I don't even know if it's important that you know the answer to it. And that was the answer that sort of came. <laughs> it doesn't matter, but I'm still curious. Yes, yes. Um, What's driving the curiosity? Yeah, that's a good question. why you would have created it. You know, let me, let me suggest one thing. Uh, I can look back on things that have happened in my life, and I can generate, just you name the emotion, I can generate it based on some of those memories. And I, I recognize that those memories may actually not even be what happened, that the memories are created because of what I was looking at at the time. There are things I've done in my past I would not do today, that it just seems unbelievable, although at the time they did not seem so reprehensible to me. Now they seem, what was I thinking? Where was, where was me? Where was I when I thought that was not hurting me or someone else? So the, the, the one thing that I'm clear about is whoever that was is not here today. And a lot of what we carry in memory and in our stories has been an outcome of something that has happened in the past, which is no longer true. Right now, it's just not, doesn't have, it's all fantasy It's all fantasy. And who you are today is not who you were five minutes ago. And certainly not who you were five years ago. We tend to get stuck in things that have, uh, that are, where it's sticky, where there's something that really affects us, you know, oh, how did that happen? Why did I do that? Or, Oh, that was wonderful. I may never have that again. 
We get stuck on those things and we make them permanent. They're not permanent. They're just things that happened. Past tense. And they are actually, right now in this moment, no more real than fantasizing about the future. So when the rage comes up, the rage is happening now. But going back and trying to figure out why it's here is is probably not going to make any difference. But feeling the rage and maybe doing that, ouch, that, that's useful. That is, then you're in a space where you're, where it is not controlling you. Your mind is not creating that this is uh, a reality, an unchangeable reality. It's just noticing there's quite a fire here. Get in touch with the fire. Feel that fire. Wow. (laughs) It doesn't have to be directed at anyone. It doesn't have to come from anywhere. When you start telling the stories, you feed it. You give it life. You make it into something. Sort of like my anxiety over my full schedule day. If I'd stuck with that anxiety, I probably would have been planning the rest of my retreat, my, my sitting. But feeling the unsettledness and how unpleasant it was, that, that was more in touch with what was actually happening. So the same can be true for you. Yeah. Yeah. And when, when it, just, just that, you don't have to be a different person. You don't have to become something you were not. You just have to see how the movement of your mind is creating your experience. And say, oh, that's interesting. And out of that comes an understanding that may cause you to change your behavior or not. This is not you. This is just happening. Maybe it arises out of conditions, habits that you've fed, unskillful or skillful actions. But that's not what's happening now. (laughs) This is the real beauty of mindfulness, is that every moment is just this. And when, when you have that thought of, I can't stand it another moment, you realize, I am standing it another moment. Wow. <laughs> you know, as long as you're still here in the moment, that's it. So we've run over. Thank you all very much.